Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week, I'm doing something a little bit different. Um, The anniversary of this crime as we call it, was yesterday, the 15th of April. So I've decided I was going to cover it. At first, I wasn't too sure if I could cover it, as we are the crime pod and we do crimes. However, this was actually declared a crime in 2016. Therefore, I'm going to do this case. So this week, I'm going to talk to you about the Hillsborough disaster. Have you heard of the Hillsborough disaster? Of course. I think everybody and their dog has. Um, it's a tragic disaster and I don't live too much under a rock that I haven't heard of it for once. Okay, okay. Okay, that's good. That's good. Right. Um, yes, this is probably a very known disaster, especially in the UK and probably outside of the UK as well. Um, But just to give a disclaimer, it will talk about the deaths of children at some point as well. So if you don't want to listen to that, that is okay. So as I said, the anniversary was yesterday. So it's actually the 15th of April, 1989. And it was a warm spring day and it was the FA Cup semi-final. And this was Liverpool Football Club versus versus Nottingham Forest. So Hillsborough Stadium was chosen as the location. Um, There was numerous options but Hillsborough was chosen. So Hillsborough Stadium is basically located in Ollerton and it's a northwestern suburb of Sheffield, Yorkshire in England. Hillsborough Stadium is actually home to Sheffield Wednesday Football Club, that is their kind of main stadium Um, but at the time this was picked as an FA Cup semi-final football club which is why different teams played there. Um, this was a big game for both teams as it was important so the game actually sold 54,000 tickets. all games are important to fans, don't get me wrong, football, you know, if everyone knows football fans, it's quite a die-hard thing for them. But this is a semi-final game, so the atmosphere is mental. Like, I've, do you know, I've been to a semi-final game, Samantha, I know you're not big on football, you're more rugby, but I've been to see my team in a semi-final football game, and it's a huge buzz. Like, everyone's really heightened, because I don't need to explain it to you, but if they get through this, they're going to the final, and they could potentially go on to win. So, it's a huge stage, so as you can imagine, the atmosphere that day was was real good. So the stadium had a segregation policy for crowd control. So the fans are actually split into their different teams outside and enter on different sides and are kept apart. Um, This is because there was a lot of fighting around football, especially at this time. So it was decided that they would be completely segregated. And this is something that's continued to now as well. I don't think I've ever kind of entered a football stadium with the opposing team. I can't really imagine that at all. Um, So roughly 24,000 Liverpool fans had to enter from one entrance, which was on Leppings Lane. Now, over 10,000 of these people had standing tickets. So if you are from the UK, standing in football really isn't a thing anymore. Like, I've stood in a football game, but I've had an allocated seat. So before this, there wasn't seats allocated. You just had a basically a big standing pen almost that everybody would go and stand into to watch the game. 
I'll put a photo on our Instagram to explain this, but the standing areas are basically split into like three parts and each area has its own tunnel you go down to to get into like the pen almost. And each pen is separated by high fences. So the standing area had six different standing pens that were all allocated by their own tunnel. So they're split off by the pitch by high fences as well. So as you can imagine, they're boxed in. So people used to obviously run onto the pitch or blah 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 so they've made these fences unfortunately difficult to climb because it was to keep people off the pitch so they've got big fences in front of them and they've got big fences either side of them in these pens now anyway the standing people so as i'm saying ten thousand people could be only enter through seven turnstiles so i don't know again if you've ever been at a turnstile but especially an old rickety stadium turnstiles those things aren't very spacious and they take a long time to get through so you're looking at 10,000 people for seven turnstiles. That's over a 1,000 people per turnstile. And this is already a very claustrophobic area, but that is a lot. So if the entrance is staggered, it would work. So if you think about this, like, do you know, if people are X amount is in by two, X amount is in by quarter past two. However, by 2 p.m., roughly just under 2,000 were in. So you're looking at an hour to get 8,000 people through seven turnstiles. So that is already given off kind of chaotic energy. Area three and four out of the six pens were the most popular as they were right behind the goal. So, of course, at a football game, you kind of either want to be in the centre line or if you're kind of in the pen standing like this was, you want to be right behind the goal. So for away fans, that was the only place they could go. So they were wanting to stand behind the goal because to the sides aren't that great. So as you can imagine, areas three and four were really starting to fill up as that's where everyone wants to be. Kickoff was due at 3pm and the Liverpool fans were all trying to get through the turnstiles and the queue was getting bigger and bigger. Now the speakers in the stadium start telling the standing fans to like start spreading out and move amongst them all. However, remember, they're all fenced off and you enter the pens via the back. So you walk into the pen and you walk right to the front. So as you can imagine, to then move pen, you have to already be at the back. So the people down at the front basically don't have an option to get out of that pen. By 2.45, there is still over 4,000 people waiting to get into the standing area. So only 6,000 out of the 10,000 have made it into the standing area with 15 minutes to go till the game. Now, thousands of fans are trying to get through and areas three and four are already full and really starting to struggle by this point. Now, this is the first time I'm going to mention this name, but this name will come up a lot through this case. So Chief Superintendent David Duckingfield was watching as the stadium filled and he basically was kind of in charge off the police that day and he debated delaying the start time of the game because people were still trying to get in. Now officers outside the stadium, um, especially Superintendent Roger Marshall, were contacting inside so they were contacting David Duckenfield and basically asking exit gate C to be opened to relieve the pressure. So David Duckenfield agreed to do this instead of, he refused to delay the start time and offered to open um, exit gate C. So they've opened exit gate C, however, they have not, they've got no officers on the other side of this exit gate to help with crowd control. So as you can imagine, you've just got 4,000 people and you've just opened a gate for them to flood through. So the gate is open and within five minutes, 2,000 people go rushing through them and head through the unmanned tunnels to areas three and four. So they head to pens three and four and there is no police manning these tunnels at all. Even though they are full, people are just flying through them. So people haven't realised how bad it is. Like at the back, you're not really seeing this as it's mostly the people at the front of these areas that are starting to kind of really get tight. So people at the back aren't seeing this or pushing them way into these pens. 
So the central areas are really piling up and this is when people start to begin getting crushed against the front fence behind the goals. So five minutes to go, the team come out into the pitch and as you can imagine, everyone begins cheering so the crowd fully surges forward due to the noise. So kickoff is on time and five minutes into the game, Liverpool a Liverpool player hit the crossbar. So again, the, the crowd surge forward. And this is where I'm going to start basically getting a bit graphic so people might, again, like I said about crimes against children, if you skip this bit, I'm not going to be offended. By a few minutes in, one of the metal barriers in area three, like splitting the crowd break. So it's not a huge up, like floor to ceiling barrier. It's basically just like those kind of metal poles that you see that are kind of like maybe like waist dish high. That breaks and basically pushes forward, traps some fans underneath it. But it means that the fans behind it go surging forward. And on top of these people that are being crushed underneath the um, fallen metal barrier many people at the front have now passed out and have been completely crushed either against the fence or they are on the floor now those at the front are now completely stuck they can't go forward and they can't go back so they're basically just getting crushed against a metal fence some vans begin scaling the fences and some which you've probably seen the famous photos or infamous photos i should say some are actually lifted out of the crush by those above them so the seating areas, like the bits above them, people are actually leaning forward and lifting fans out of pens three and four because they could see how bad it was getting. Now, police actually thought these people being lifted up were pitch invaders. However, a fan ran to the goalkeeper, so he managed to climb over and run to the goalkeeper and told them to stop the game um, and told them basically there was a crush in pens three and four. I'm just going to reiterate that a fan told them. Not the police, not everyone that was manning the stadium. A fan managed to climb over the unclimbable fences, go to the goalkeeper off the football game and tell him to stop the game as it was a crush. Six minutes in, so by this point, the game has stopped and the crowd are screaming the place down basically in areas three and four. So the whole stadium is begging the police to do something. The bodies of the unconscious adults and children are actually being passed over the fences to the police and they're taken onto the pitch to try and do some sort of CPR or get them into a safe space. Seven minutes in, many of the fans had actually already been crushed and some of them unfortunately had already died by this time. The medical teams were trying to get into the injured unconscious people and trying to take them out of these pens. But again, as we're saying, these fences are so, so high. The fans actually then managed to get more onto the pitch, but they turned billboards into makeshift stretchers to try and help get people carried off safely because people yes some are passed out some are unconscious but people are also severely injured you're talking broken limbs everything the game is officially called off at 3:10, and the first ambulance arrives in hillsborough stadium at 3:14 and begins to try and help at 3:15, in the policeman's box david duckenfields meets with graham kelly who is the chief executive of the football association he tells them there's been fatalities and the game has had to be stopped david duckenfield then says the crush was caused by fans who forced their way through exit to gate C. So this is the first time, quarter past three, he has said that fans forced their way through exit gate C. He has said he did not open it, they forced their way through it. By 3.30, under 51 people were transported to hospital and many bodies of the dead slash unconscious, unfortunately, were taken into the stadium's gym. So they basically turned the stadium's gym into kind of like an almost makeshift morgue thing um, where they just decided to kind of put, because unfortunately bodies were lying all over the place, you're talking all over the pitch, all over the pens, all over the gym, all over the standing area. So they thought, let's make a kind of makeshift mortuary. And even those like that are kind of 
sorry, so trying to word this. So if they were basically pronounced dead at Hillsborough and there was no kind of reasons to take them to hospital, they were just put straight into the gym. However, people were like that were kind of still breathing, etc. were still don't get me wrong, they weren't just putting the water right, they were still obviously getting treatment on the pitch and taken to hospital. However, those that died in hospital were then brought back to the gym to then go into the makeshift mortuary. A CID, CID officer, sorry, was overheard saying this was putting all our eggs in one basket. Just going to let you sit with that for a minute because <laughs> putting all your eggs in one basket, yeah, is not a phrase I would use for people that have died, but let's move on for that. I understand that, you know, for IDing them and for kind of getting why it would be easier, but referring to them as eggs in one basket doesn't sit well with me at all. By the end of the day, 82 were confirmed dead at the stadium and 12 had died in hospital. Overall, there were 766 injured, 94, 96 deaths, sorry, 14 made it to hospital of those deaths. So as I said, 14 of the deaths actually made it to hospital, but then transported back. The oldest death that day was 67 and the youngest was actually 10 years old. Now, if people know about Hillsborough, you probably know it was referred to as the Hillsborough 96 for a while and then it went on to the 97. I'll get on to that in a bit. But just to say, because I've mentioned the 96 deaths, it was actually 1993 that the 96th died in hospital with Hillsborough-related injuries. And I'll go on to the 97th later on, but just because I've just referred to it as the 96. Now, family members were kept on buses out the sta- outside the stadium when they tried to find a way of IDing them. Now, I'm going to basically tell you the way they ID'd the dead bodies, which is horrific and yeah I'll talk to you about it and then I'll kind of go through how I think it could be different. Now the families of those who were looking for someone at Hillsborough were taken into like a kind of community centre I believe or a kind of safer space um, and basically they gave their family's name. Now if that person had been linked to a hospital or they believed it was in hospital they were then taken to that hospital. If they had not been on a list that was at hospital they had taken Polaroid photos of the dead and numbered them. Now, the families were brought in, like, individually, and these photos were all pinned up on a board, and you basically had to look through them to see if your loved one was there. So you're looking for the Polaroid photo of your dead husband, wife, son, daughter, brother, friend. So you're basically looking through these photos. I, yeah, I can imagine this must have been absolutely horrific, and in a way I get it was probably one of the, at the time, they probably thought it was the easiest thing to do, but just want to reiterate, these photos weren't categorised. These photos weren't split. So, like, if someone came looking for me, they would still have to look through 96 Polaroids. They didn't have to look, like, you know, I'm, you're talking, they didn't put females, they didn't put males, they didn't put brown hair, blonde, they didn't split anybody at all. They just put all up and you basically had to flick through them all. So, remember as well, this is a community. So, you're probably seeing people you actually knew as well being like, oh, God, like, and remember, they've the cause of death has been crushing. That your body's going to look horrific. So again, I get it, but they're going to have to look through these, and this is the kind of image they're seeing of their dead family member. So, Sam, I don't know if you have any kind of thoughts or inputs to put on that, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like awful. A right, okay. Yeah, like I couldn't think of anything worse. Imagine you're already in a state, and then you have to look at 96 dead people, but you do you might know your person might not even yeah. be in there and then you've still got that image in your head for life yeah well absolutely and I think I was reading 
way we into newspaper articles and looking into things and actually at some points people weren't actually recognizing them 100% because they would look so different you know you're talking I don't want to get too graphic but crushing to death your body's probably swelling and it's probably been battered and bruised so you probably don't look like how you did when you left that morning so yeah again I think I I don't understand I kind of I'm trying to word this right I get maybe why they did that for the ID and process but I think it could have been done a lot better and handled a lot more sensitively but anyway so the minute they found out their loved one was dead they basically were taken into the gym and were interviewed by police now they would ask questions such as how much alcohol did they have did they go to many pubs before the game was this common for them to drink before football games etc now police had a briefing at the end of the day and all present met at the road traffic department now senior officers at the time told them not to make any notes in their pocketbooks basically make no paper trail of the day so you're talking way back in the 80s your pocketbook was basically your best friend as a police officer you wrote down everything that was a way of keeping notes and keeping on top of things you've just witnessed a disaster 96 people have died why would you not write this down but they were told to make absolutely no paper trail of the day do not write it down don't do anything so Stephen Popper is a name I'm going to mention a couple of times as well. He is a South Yorkshire coroner and he decided to take alcohol blood samples from every single dead person in the gym. So yeah, you heard me right. Every single dead person, including the person that died young as 10 and also all the other underage 18 year olds children. He took alcohol blood samples from them to try and prove how many people had alcohol in their bloodstream. Now I'm going to kind of do a side note here. But this is something I will also mention later on as well. I'm going to talk about the Sun newspaper. The Sun, scum, Sun. Oh, did I say that? Um, the Sun is <laughs> a shitty tabloid newspaper in the UK. It's shite. Don't buy the Sun. Boycott the Sun. Sorry. Um, so basically four days later, the Sun published the truth about Hillsborough. So on the front page of this newspaper is the truth in capital letters. And it says fans had pickpocketed the dead, spat on police officers. A female fan's dead body had been sexually assaulted by fans and that fans above had urinated to the crushes below. So they published this. Now, the senior editor didn't publish these as allegations, but straight up facts. So he's not saying there's reports off. He's saying this is what happened. So this these were obviously lies and to this day the sun newspaper is basically not touched in liverpool i'll go on and talk to you a bit more about that but the sun basically fucked up there and i think that's one of the many reasons why i hate the sun they just publish shit news sorry but nobody touches it especially in liverpool and i will go on to that a bit more recently uh, later but i just want to keep you on the timeline this was four days later um, on the same day, Paul Madup, a former secretary of the South Yorkshire Police Federation, went on TV and said Liverpool fans drank heavily, wouldn't accept any direction and didn't listen to police. He said that over 500 did not have tickets and the fans were pushing their way into the stadium. So if this was true, OK, let's say they all turned up, they were all drunk, they didn't have tickets. Why was not more done? Postpone the start time of the game. Open more turnstiles. Sides like... What? Okay, if that's fa- like, why? Why didn't you do more then? Like, stop trying to put all the blame on these people. But of course, the public believe this. It's the police and the papers. So why wouldn't you believe it if that's what everyone is telling you happened? 
of course that's what people start to have. The same day the Sun released their paper, um, the South Yorkshire Police Federation gather every single police officer that was involved that day to make their official statements and they do this in a pub in Sheffield. Over 400 statements are taken and senior officers doctored 164 statements. This is illegal, but also, what the fuck? Why, why are you doctoring them? If that's what happened, if that's someone's statement, why, why do you feel the need to change that? But some of the criticisms of senior officers were completely removed from the statements. So when people, David Duckenfield, for example, any criticism against him, being like, yeah, he shouldn't be postponed the game, anything, was completely removed and these statements were just not even submitted. So the UK obviously began believing this and we're going back to Dr Stephen Popper, the coroner. He oversaw the inquest into the death in 1991. The coroner's report came out and said all those who died that day were dead before 3.15pm or if they were not dead, they were past the point of saving. But the the first ambulance arrived at 3.14. So you're saying that everyone that died, 95 people, they were completely dead. Not Why were some taken to hospital then? Why Why is there people doing CPR on the pitches? Why is there ambulances transporting? Why then? So it means everything the emergency services did, so you're talking ambulance, police, everything they did after 3.15 was to be declared admiss inadmissible. Mm -hmm. So one doctor's opinion and they decide something this big that's it there's no way no way you can know that no way you, especially in the 80s but even now you would not be able to declare you would not be able to tell if someone was dead prior 315 or even 320 how how can you know that oh, i get so angry anyway so on march 26th in 1996 seven years after the inquest after the inquest the official verdict is returned accidental death to all those at hillsborough so they all were declared accidental deaths. So as you can imagine, the families are devastated. They were actually hoping for unlawful killing or even manslaughter, but they got accidental death. So as you can imagine, this is awful. Huge blow for them and really, really difficult for a lot of the families. Now, Lord Justice Taylor led an inquiry into the causes of the disaster between May and June 1999. Now, this was concluded that policing on the day broke down and they blamed it on the failure of police control and made the police made a catalogue of bad decisions. He also said most of the Liverpool fans were not drunk, so these two completely do not add up. Like, this does not add up at all. So let's just have a quick recap, right? Police did not postpone the game. Police opened gate C, but if they had... Okay, so they opened it, but if they had, there was no police on either side of that. The areas slash pens held roughly 2,000. There was an argument at the time that it should have been less. But you could see from the pitch that these were full by 2.45. They almost doubled by the time the game went on. But you could see by 2.45 they were open. So they were full, sorry. So why didn't you have police officers manning the tunnels into these pitches, to, into these pens, sorry, to say they are full, you can't come in? Why didn't you do anything like that? Why didn't you do anything like that? Just, just saying. So this really hurt the families, as you can imagine. Um, they were absolutely devastated. And in 1997, the Labour Party come into power and Lord Justice Stuart Smith does another inquest. And this is where I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about politics. So when the disaster happened, the Tories, Conservative Party, were in power in the UK. And most importantly, the Prime Minister was Margaret Thatcher. 
Now, papers released by the Hillsborough Independent Panel showed that the Prime Minister ordered the government's response to the Taylor report, so remember the report I talked about way back, to be toned down so it did not appear to attack the South Yorkshire police. So this is obviously a bit like, okay, like why would you tone it down if that's what happened? But just to remind people kind of what was happening at that time, in 1984, so a few years before Hillsborough, it was actually the minor strikes. And of course, the South Yorkshire police were kind of involved in that heavily. And especially they kind of backed Thatcher and worked closely with Thatcher. Um, so they were actually dubbed Maggie Thatcher's boot boys for the role in the 1984 minor strikes. So Thatcher loved the police and she kept them very safe as they helped her with all those minor strikes and basically did everything she asked them to do. So they were basically up in her pocket so they could kind of get away with anything. The police were invincible, so the South Yorkshire police at that time. Now, Prime Minister David Cameron, another member of the Tories, suggested that Thatcher's government were actually the first of a succession of establishments in power to have failed the victims of Hillsborough. So he actually said that, um, and I think he's right. I think she failed a lot of people, but that's just my opinion. Anyway, so the next inquest basically backed the police and Stephen Popper's inquiry, and they said that all um, all people after 3.15 basically were dead and any inter interference by the police, ambulance, etc. was inadmissible. So they basically said a new inquiry will not do anything. He did admit, however, police illegally doctored notes, but didn't feel the need to have any further action. Confused. So this Lord Justice Stuart Smith has done an inquest, and he's basically saying that, yeah, doctor notes were done, but they didn't need any further action. That is illegal. Um, also, just to tell you a bit about who Lord Justice Smith is, nice guy. Uh, he met with the families of the bereaved. And as they were all coming in, he said, and I quote, Samantha, this is an actual quote. Have you got a few of your people or are they like Liverpool fans that turn up at the last minute? No way. He said that to the families of the bereaved when waiting to meet with them to discuss the inquest. He apologised and said his joke was not meant to offend. It, well, what the fuck was it meant time to do? For jokes. Like, there's a time and a place. But not and to that joke. that was not it. During an inquest and basically say like, oh, oh, oh fucking idiot, man. Anyway... Mm -hmm. There was, a form, there was a formation and report from the Independent Hillsborough panel put together in 2009 by the government. So this report came to the decision that the Liverpool fans were not at fault, but the senior police officers caused it. So it came out there was no proof of drunk fans. They revealed all the cover-ups and said roughly 41 people who died could have survived if the emergency services had reacted quicker and better. That's almost half could have survived if the emergency services had reacted quicker and better. Postmortems came out saying some of their death times were hours later and they were actually, a lot of them, if you see the photos, a lot of them were taken out of the crowd and then placed on their backs. So no, they weren't placed in the recovery position. So if they're kind of struggling with their breathing, they've been knocked out, it's been in a crush, you're then just lying them right on their back. What, what do you think is going to happen? I haven't mentioned it before as well, but also ambulances couldn't get onto the pitch. They weren't really allowed in and they'd kind of stopped ambulances going in. So again, if the ambulances had actually got in when they first announced there were people struggling, but it took so long, as we said, for the ambulances to actually get in. So in 2012, a second coroner's hearing was held. 
and in 2016, a panel of jurors came to the decision of the unlawful killing of the 96. So it's been an unlawful killing. Okay. So who should face charges? Well, I think David Duffinfield. He should be charged as he didn't even know what teams were playing that day. He didn't know anything about the job or the responsibility he was taking on that day. He had basically not prepped and was unprepared for the size of match. On the morning, they had a briefing. He didn't go over safety, but actually in like kind of told the team, uh, the team of police officers, not the football team, the team of police officers, how to unre- how to arrest unruly fans. So instead of actually going, this is how we keep people safe at the football game, he's going, this is how we arrest them, this is what we're charging them for, and basically already saw them as criminals. So, of course, he's not going to go in and then start trying to help. He was actually charged and arrested in June 2017. Now, he was charged in June 2017, sorry, following the conclusion of the new inquest, which I've just said, um, and it basically this was obviously the report that came out. He was also charged along with Graham Henry Mackerel, who was the Sheffield Wednesday's football club's company secretary and safety officer at the time of the disaster in 1989. So as I said, this is Sheffield Wednesday's stadium, but obviously he's in charge of the stadium safety and the stadium was being used for another team. Peter Metcalf, the solicitor acting for the South Yorkshire Police um, during the Taylor Inquiry, he was also arrested, uh, charged, sorry, former Chief Superintendent Donald Denton of the South Yorkshire Police, former Detective Chief Inspector Alan Foster of the South Yorkshire Police, Norman Bettison, a former police officer with the South Yorkshire Police and subsequently the Chief Constable of Merseyside and West Yorkshire Police. Now, they were all charged. Duckenfield actually stood trial early 2019, but the jury was discharged after failing to reach a verdict and a retrial was ordered. Now, in November 2019, unfortunately, he was found not guilty of the unlawful killings. Duckenfield didn't give any evidence at the trial, as the court said he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder after it. I'm sure a lot of the fans were as well. Now, Judge Sir Peter Openshaw told the jurors the condition could explain Duckenfield's lack of reaction as he sat in the well of the court throughout the trial. So he's kind of justifying why he's not reacting to all the different comments that are being made saying how all these people died because he failed, basically. But, sorry. Um, In the news conference, the chair of the Hillsborough Family Support Group, Margaret Aspinall, whose 18-year-old son James died, actually said the verdict was, and I'm quoting her, an absolutely bloody disgrace. She said, how can 96 people be unlawfully killed and no one be accountable? Please give us the answer who unlawfully killed my son, along with 95 others. What we've got to try and do is change the system in this country. That is so wrong. Now, Liverpool Football Club actually put a statement out as well. And they've said, we have also reiterated that the inquest in April 2016 concluded that the behaviour of Liverpool supporters did not cause or contribute to the Hillsborough disaster. We were disappointed with the allegations that were raised again in this process. We have immense admiration for the Hillsborough families, survivors and campaigners for what they have achieved. And our thoughts remain with them and those 96 Liverpool supporters who went to watch their team and never came home. Now, that's been kind of done with the story, but I'm going to go back through a few things and just give you a bit more information about them. So, again, I said I'd mention it earlier, the Scum newspaper. Oh, sorry, the Scum, the Sun newspaper. My mistake. Um, so after a protest in Kirkby in which basically women burnt, like a bunch of women burned copies of the Sun newspaper referred to as a scum. Well, it's not just me that does it. Um, it's basically been widely boycotted in Merseyside. Sales have been estimated to have dropped from 55,000 per day to roughly 12,000 per day in that whole area. Who are these 12,000 people still buying them? Stop it. Um, Campaigns against newspaper included Total Eclipse of the Sun and Shun the Sun. 
first basically coming out that it shouldn't be sold. Um, journalists from the papers have always been denied access to interviews at Liverpool and Everton ground since then. So obviously papers go along and interview fans as they're waiting to go into the game and players after the game. However, the Sun has always been denied access to interview at both Liverpool and Everton grounds. Um, so the boycott um, roughly cost the Sun's owners £15 million per month. <laughs> Anyway, um, there's also, when I was doing my research for this, I had watched this series before, but I would recommend watching it again. It's a mini-series called Anne. It's on ITVX, and it's basically about her story. So Anne Williams' son, Kevin Williams, was 15 years old when he died at Hillsborough. But the reason I want the series is awful. It's so, so, so sad, and it covers a lot of what I mentioned. You actually see, like, the IDM process. They've, like, reenacted that, and that is even harder to watch a dramatisation of it because it is, like, so real. But um, I just want to talk to you a bit about Kevin as well, because it also argues the fact that everyone was dead at 3.15. A police officer named Deborah Martin actually held Kevin as he died. And she recorded in her notes that he worded mum at 3.30 and died in her arms at 3.50. So how the hell was he declared dead before 3.15? When a police officer is literally saying to you he spoke at 3.30. Now, Deborah was actually visited by a senior police officer and told to change her statement as they wanted to, quote, round up what happened. So you want to lie. You want to lie, basically. Just say it as it is. You want to lie and pretend that you did nothing wrong. No. Anne Williams actually continued to fight for justice for her son, and she sadly passed away of cancer in 2013, age 63. Now, in 2021, Andrew Devine actually died in hospital, and he died from... Um, sorry, from injuries relating to Hillsborough. So he had brain injuries and basically this was because of Hillsborough and he died and his cause of death was because of his brain injuries, which is when Hillsborough in 2021 changed from the Hillsborough 96 to the Hillsborough 97. Now, Hillsborough as a stadium, like this is what I kind of wanted to research into and a lot of my research, I get quite shocked at what I find out and I'm always like, oh my God, this genuinely made me gasp out loud. Samantha, I've told you there's going to be a bit in this case. I genuinely was stunned. This is it. So what I think confused me the most, again, I know the guy was um, charged, but how how did the stadium go so wrong? Like, this is a usual stadium. Loads of games have been held here and it actually lost its FA Cup kind of licence, I think it's called. It lost it, but it got it back. So how did it get it back how was the stadium declared so safe to hold this game and then how did it all go so wrong well we're going to go back six months prior Hillsborough so we're going to October 1988 so a 20 year old new recruit in the South Yorkshire police office like police what's it called police force um went to a post office he was summoned to a post office late one night in Sheffield as he got to the post office, two men in balaclava, balaclavas armed with guns tackled him to the ground and handcuffed him behind his back. They then pulled his trousers down, pointed a gun to his head, and then they took a photo. After they took off a photo, they took off their balaclavas and it was his colleagues. It was police officers. And it was all just meant to be a joke. It was just a prank. He was a new recruit and they were doing it as a joke. So... He obviously went home, told his wife what happened, and he then reported this the next day at work and he filed a formal complaint. Now, they were all from Hammerton Road Police Station. So one officer, an inspector and two sergeants were forced to resign. Two other sergeants were demoted and two constables were fined. 
Now, the chief superintendent at the time, Brian Mull, was transferring to Burnsley due to all this unofficially. They were like, oh, we're just changing up, like, the stadiums, uh, the stadiums, the forces, obviously, blah, blah, blah. But this was kind of on the back of this, and there was no other really known reason for the move. So this is why he was transferred to Burnsley. Have you kept up with me, Samantha? Have you got all that so far? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, Brian Mull was normally the chief inspector of football matches at Hillsborough. It was Hammerton Road Police Station that dealt with all the games at Hillsborough. He was praised for his crowd control and safety and he had oversaw two previous cup finals where there was no issues reported at all and he was transferred three weeks before Hillsborough and replaced by untrained, unfootball aware David Duckenfield. So if this hadn't happened with this new recruit, it would have been Brian Mull who oversaw Hillsborough. And it just makes you think if he knew what he was doing, would it have actually happened? It just, yeah, just makes you think because yeah. he'd postponed games before his crowd control. He was praised for how good his crowd control was. But he was transferred three weeks before Hillsborough. So just fit for thought. Now, of course, 97 died and hundreds were injured in Hillsborough. But the rest, like you've seen the photos, there is horrific trauma for everyone that was involved in Hillsborough including some of the police not the top ones but the police that were actually on the pitch giving CPR and holding people until they died people were crushed people were in a horrific state and I can't imagine the scenes that were witnessed that day um but I know no one's been officially charged but I think with everything I've kind of spoke about you cannot deny there is definitely some failings on the police's part but that is all from me Samantha if you have anything you'd like to add no, nothing else to add. You've kind of covered it all and things. It's just one of those awful, tragic events that could have been avoided if certain people just followed the rules or did things by the book instead of trying to cover up their arse. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's just your opinion. And I'll leave you with one of mine. Um, I can't tell you what to do, but if I could, don't buy the sun. <laughs> 